ahead, take a seat, tell your neighbor how good they look this morning as I get my stuff up here. Hey, as we are transitioning, I want, I want to real quick say welcome to those of you who are visiting with us, friends, um, even online. Hey, hey, we love you. Those of you online, welcome to Austin Oaks Church, back with your family. Um, real quick, I wanted to um, just say thanks to all of our amazing volunteers. Okay, so church, let's, let's thank and love on our volunteers like, you don't see what they do. They're here at 8-something, and they get here to pray for you all, pray for the message, for the worship, and they set everything up. But also, like, um, I think it's also really appropriate for us to thank our children's team as well. They've been doing a phenomenal job. Now, um, I was hoping to do this in our church family so our friends and family online can see that we still have a thriving church family. So I'm gonna ask Kira to pan the camera around so she can see you. So I want you all to say hi. Tell them you love them. Come on, that's all you can do. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> I'm good, thank you. Oh, you weren't talking to me. Okay, got it. All right. So our heartbeat here at Austin Oaks Church will always be simply about Jesus. If you want to know who we are and what we strive to be about, we want to help other, all people to meet him, to know him, and to follow him, because we believe that when you know him, it literally changes everything. And that's why we declare the name of Jesus. We, we love his name because it, it's in we have life. And so this morning, there's a bunch of things on my heart. And I'm going to do my very best to stay close to my notes so I don't ramble too much. But the reality is, November 3rd has come and gone. Jesus is still on his throne, regardless. Our hope is set on the solid foundation of the gospel of Jesus. Even when the seas around us feels unsettling, Jesus is the same today, yesterday, and forever. He's with us to the very end. He's given all authority on heaven and on earth to his disciples, and we are to be about his kingdom. And for us as the church, nothing has changed, regardless, regardless, yes, the context might change and shift around us. It always does because that's life. But the mission and the purpose and the calling of the church of Jesus Christ has never changed. And it will never change and it will succeed. It is victorious. Now, I believe more than ever that now is the time for the church to regather, regroup, and re realign again to the faith we have in Jesus and to be the movement of God in this dark world. If anything that has sh this scenario has shown us is that, I'm just gonna be honest, that maybe the church has lost its way a little bit. Regardless of what happened, I would be saying the very same thing this morning if the election went the other way. They wouldn't change. I need you to understand this. And I need you to hear the words that come out of my mouth are not stand put, sorry. I forgot, sorry. 
Sorry, I will, right here, I will stay right here. I am so sorry. I'm s- forgive me, okay? Sorry. Sorry, okay? Now, I know it's tempting to think, please hear me. I know it's tempting to think that I'm gonna be speaking directly this morning into the political situation. Like I'm speaking as a Republican or to Republicans who are frustrated and to Democrats who are celebrating. I'm not. I'm not giving some sort of concession speech. I'm not speaking heavy because of things have changed. I'm not. I'm preaching gospel. I'm preaching to the church. And I need us to hear this. I can't express to you all heavy. This has been on my heart all week. I'm speaking to all who call upon the name of Jesus, who follow Jesus. I'm gonna do my best to show you how are we to live in our modern day Babylon. And that's why we're in this series is to answer the question, what now? And we launched this series before we knew the results because the answer the question is still gonna be out there. How do we live? Not how do we live as Americans, how do we live as followers of Jesus? So I'm speaking to us, I'm speaking to us as a family. This is a family talk this morning. We need to know how to live faithful in our modern day Babylon, how to stand firm in our faith, our convictions, our loyalty to Jesus, and yet love well at the same time, regardless of what happens around us, regardless of the circumstances around us. Because nothing changes for the church. I'm speaking on a kingdom ethic this morning because his kingdom matters more. His kingdom matters more. We inherited a kingdom that cannot be shaken. His kingdom is the only kingdom that brings hope and life and salvation. And if you are a follower of Jesus this morning, listen, his kingdom has to matter more today than anything else in your life. And that has to reflect in how we live. His kingdom, his kingdom has to matter more than the Republican Party. His kingdom has to matter more than the Democratic Party. You hearing me? Like it has to matter more. Because Jesus died for the for the world, for the hope. We have to place our rest and our trust, our security as followers of Jesus in him. We received a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And that's why Daniel is so perfect for us. Because if you remember the context, Daniel is an Israelite and Israelites were the people of God and Jerusalem was the city of God and that's where the promises were. And they get completely, you know, taken captive by Babylon, ripped into a nation that is defined as the personification of evil. And God told them, listen, you're gonna be there a while and I need you to seek the welfare of that city. Pray to the Lord on their behalf for in their welfare, you will find theirs. And we're going to look at how they lived faithful, how they stood strong, how they remained true to their convictions and their values, and yet how they loved well at the same time. That's how we have to respond today as the church. How do we stay loyal to Jesus? First and foremost, how do we stand firm on the truths of Scripture and yet love well at the same time? And it starts, first and foremost, 
Like we talked about last week, Daniel and his companions knew they could be faithful because they knew that God was sovereign. And that sovereignty galvanized their faith. It gave them a hope, and that hope gave them courage. And that courage was best expressed by standing firm and loving well. It doesn't change. How they lived in Babylon, it's the same way how we ought to live in our modern day Babylon. We have to start first knowing that God is sovereign and from that sovereignty leads us to hope. Just like we talked about using the Chicago Cubs illustration that we know the final score at the end of the game. So regardless of what the score is at whatever inning it is, we should never panic or despair as believers because we know the end score. And that gives us hope, not wishful thinking hope, but a hope of courage and, and faith and resoluteness that we can stand and go, whoa, my purpose is to be faithful to Jesus, to understand that it's about his kingdom, so I'm going to love well now. When we fear and panic and despair, listen, you will always stop loving well. Because you'll immediately turn to being selfish and thinking about your own welfare and trying to protect everything. But that's not the ethic of the kingdom. Our hope has to radiate in everything that we say and do. It has to inform everything in our life. It has to determine all of these things. And our lives now, regardless of the circumstance or the context around us, has to, our faith has to show up clearly. We need to learn to stand strong and love well, just like Daniel. And I know, friends, I know it's so tempting to think that those are mutually exclusive. Well, how can you stand firm for your values and convictions and yet love well and serve others? A lot of times, a lot of people think it's one or the other. Well, no, no, we got to fight for our convictions and our values. We got to stand our ground and we got to do this. And then you do it by throwing out love outside of the window. She's like, no, at least I'm standing. I'm strong and firm here and I'm being bold for Jesus. And a lot of people think that it's just, you just love well. You just, you just compromise and you tolerate and you don't speak the truth. We don't want to offend. And it's, it's, it's neither of those. It's both and. You have to stand firm and love well. And we see this personified in Jesus. John chapter one, verse 14. John tells us that the word became flesh, dwelt among us, and we've seen his glory. The glory as the only son from the father, look at this, full of grace, undeserved love and favor. He was full of grace and full of truth. He didn't compromise. He held both equally you see Jesus, you see him standing firm, but you also see him loving well. He's our example. He's our model and how we are to live faithful. 100% grace, always. 100% truth, always. That is his posture. And that doesn't change. And I know I know it's so much more fun to hear the great stories of Daniel chapter one through six. Let's talk about Daniel drawing the line in the sand about what food he would eat and not eat. You know, Let's talk about the, the fiery furnace. Let's talk about Daniel being thrown in the lion's den. Let's talk about the stories of great courage and faith. Yes, we're going to. I'm gonna to talk to you about that next week. But I need to talk first and foremost about love. How to love well first. Because listen, 
What good is it if you stand firm in your faith and you're full of courage and you're antagonistic, argumentative, and you're offending people and doing it without gentleness and respect? What good is it to those outside of the church? What good does that do? And I know some of you are thinking, yeah, but we shouldn't compromise. I'm not saying compromise. Hear me. I'm saying you stand firm, but you do it by loving well. Daniel, you will never, ever see Daniel and his companions just standing firm without loving well. Even when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were throwing the fiery furnace, they said to the king, King Nebuchadnezzar, they said, sir, gentle. Sir would not be the word I would be using at that moment. They were gentle, respectful, honoring, because they knew their purpose. They knew that God was sovereign. His sovereignty led to a hope. Their hope led to courage, and that courage was exemplified by how they loved. They stood firm, and they loved well. Friends, our courage has to be fueled by hope. And if it is, then our courage must feel, must look like, and sound like love. It has to. Galatians 5, 6. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor circumcision has any value. And at this moment, Paul's talking about our external displays of religiosity. But look what he says next. The only thing that counts. Notice that. The only thing that counts is faith. And we like to stop right there. The only thing that counts is faith. Got to have faith, be firm, be bold, be, and just believe in God. That's not what he says. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself, say it with me, through love. Romans 13, 8, another area where Paul talks about this. He says, hey, let no debt remain in your life. No debt. Oh, except this one debt. You have one debt. And never pay it off. Love. Followers of Jesus, the debt that we have is a debt to love others. The only thing that counts, like Paul is being very strategic in what he's saying. He's speaking to an overtly external religious culture and church. He's like, yes, faith is important. We're not saying that faith is important because it's only by faith that we can please God. Absolutely. But the only thing that matters or counts is faith expressing itself through love. Faith that isn't expressed through love, let's be honest, and some of us have been victims of this, faith expressed without love can be hurtful, can be damaging, can be overbearing, can be legalistic, can be judgmental. How do we win others for Jesus? How do we help people see that there's a greater kingdom, a better way, a faithful and loving Savior King? Do we do this by constantly being antagonistic and argumentative just to point out the fact that they're wrong and we're right or just to simply proclaim what we're always against? How is that winsome? How is that influential? How is that beneficial to those in our modern day Babylon that are still in darkness who don't know Jesus? Isn't the ultimate purpose of the church 
to lead people to a life-changing relationship in Jesus? Jesus taught us, okay? Jesus taught us, disciples, that the world would know us by a soul-distinguishing factor. John 13, 34 to 35. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. And I circled in my Bible these phrases, just as, so he's our example. How did Jesus love me? How did Jesus love us? Love one another just as I have loved you. Well, how did he love me? I know when I wasn't a Christian and I was a drug addict and stuck in all these sorts of things and all sorts of sin, he died for me. He loved me. When I was his enemy, when I was antagonistic against him, he loved for me. He stood for me. He died for me. Love as I have loved you. You also then are to love one another by this. By this. Well, what's the this? By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. And what does it mean to be a disciple? To follow Jesus. That also means to stand firm in the truth. Don't miss that. So we're not just saying, oh, you just got to love and tolerate and da, da, da. No, 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 no. You see this perfect balance. If you want to be a disciple, don't be ashamed of me. Stand for me. But the world will know you are my disciples, my followers, standing firm, following hard after me by your love. That's how they will know. Church, I'm telling you, this ought to be our finest hour. This ought to be the moment when we come back around the gospel and go, we have to win as many as possible for Jesus. 50% of our nation is, is feeling like the world is all like the hope has come and the other 50% of the nation feels like the world is ending. And I hope you don't feel that way. Like we're here on mission as a church to be the hope of the world through Jesus, to be salt and light through Jesus, regardless of the circumstance. Regardless. Does our faith and our posture as the church change? Let's just say tomorrow America's over. Does it change anything for the church? Does it change anything if, if you get what I'm saying? And that's why I'm saying this ought to be our finest hour. Listen, the church, the world has to know that the church loves Jesus and that we love them so well. We're gonna stand firm, following hard after Jesus. Absolutely. Absolutely. But Jesus was very clear that the world will know we're his disciples, not by constantly fighting and arguing, by how we love one another. Let our profession of faith actually be seen and felt and realized to the world outside. They're watching us. The most distinguishing feature of God's kingdom is love. Hands down. And I'm sorry that I sound pretty preachy this morning. So this is just like something that is just really brewing on my heart. As Seth already told us in Philippians 2, like Jesus, he, he came. He came to not be served. He came to serve, to humble himself. He emptied himself. He took the form of a servant. Why? So that 
He could show us the way to the Father, and he loved us well by emptying himself. That's what we have to do. And I know it's at these moments where I talk like this, some people will be like, well, yeah, pastor, we, we get the love stuff. We understand. God so loved the world. We get it. Just give us the deep truths right now. Can I, like, just give me the deep spiritual, scriptural mysteries. Like, what, what's the Greek for this love? Is it agape? Is it phileo? What's the Hebrew? I want the meat. Hey, friends, I'm not being prideful, but I could do that. I could do that. I got a master's of divinity, which is a silly title. Like I was trying to tell my friends who don't know Jesus, you got a master's? I'm like, yeah, I got a master's in what? I don't want to tell you. <laughs> divinity. Oh, like you can pull rabbits out of hats? Right? You ever think about that? It just feels weird. Like I got a master's of divinity. I studied Greek. I studied Hebrew. I was a TA in New Testament studies. I was a TA in Greek. If you want deep, I could go Greek. But listen, if one of you is dying in the ocean and you don't know Jesus and you need a life raft, you're not going to ask me for the tense of the Greek word for life raft. You're going to want the life raft. Church, the mission of the church is to be a light to the world, to tell people about Jesus. We need to do that. Yeah, we grow, we follow Jesus, we do discipleship 100%. But the deep stuff of following Jesus is loving your neighbor. You want meat? How about love your enemy? You want the mysteries of the gospel? How about you bless those who persecute you? You do that, and we'll talk Greek. Right? Like, like, that's the stuff that matters. 1 Corinthians 13, and I know a lot of us might have heard this in a wedding. You know, this is poetic scripture on love, and, and it's just beautiful. But really, the context of how Paul wrote 1 Corinthians was actually to a jacked up church that was dividing over like religious things and spiritual gifts. I'm more elite than you and all this kind of stuff. They were a jacked up church, gross sin within this church. And Paul says, listen, I'm gonna talk to you a little bit about love. In 1 Corinthians 13, 1, he says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, like just, just if I just speak and, and when I talk, glitter comes out of my mouth. Like, bring. If like I'm the best orator and I've, I have these amazing words and I can form the best statements, but if I have not love, I am simply a noisy gong, a clanging cymbal. And for context, all your words without love just hurts the ears. Think about that. If you can speak the best words and the most eloquence, if you can do all of that, I'm coming back, I'm coming back, I'm coming back, sorry. If you can do all of that, and it's without love, it just hurts people's ears. If what we say isn't reflected by what we do, it's just a clanging symbol. That's all it is. When I pause, I'm debating what to say. <laughs> We have to stop glorifying people's opinions. 
I encourage you, church, instead of posting opinions on social media, post scripture, post ways how we can love well, serve well. Our words matter. Scriptures teach strongly on this, that our words reflect our heart. We should be using words to build up, not tear down. Our words should be seasoned with salt. But it has to reflect in how we live. We have to be people of integrity and consistency. Our character matters. Stand firm. Yes, please don't hear me that I'm not saying do it. Yes, be courageous. Stand for truth, but do it with gentleness and respect. Look at Colossians 4, 6. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer each person. But it's not just in the words we say. 1 Corinthians 13, 2 goes, even if I have prophetic powers and I understand all the mysteries and all the knowledge, and if I have all the faith so as to move mountains, but if I have not love, I am nothing. If I memorize the Bible and I can win Bible trivia games and, and I can espouse the greatest doctrine and all these kind of things, Paul's saying, it's like, listen, if it's without love, everything that you know is irrelevant. And I've said this before and I believe this to my very core. If our doctrine doesn't lead us to greater love for Jesus and greater love for other people, it's probably an idol. Everything we know about Jesus ought to cause us to love him more. And by byproduct out of that, it ought to drive us to love others better. And if it doesn't do that, we really have to ask ourselves a question. But not only that, like, even if I have great faith and I can move mountains, Paul's like, that's, that's great. But if it's not matched with love, it's pointless. If I give all I have, even if I deliver my body up to be burned, if I'm the most generous person and I achieve so much by my efforts, but if I do it without love, I gain nothing. A life without love achieves nothing. Love is patient. This is how we love well. Love is kind. Love doesn't envy, it doesn't boast. Love isn't arrogant or rude. Love doesn't insist on its own way. Love isn't irritable, love isn't resentful. It doesn't rejoice at wrongdoing, but it rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, it believes all things. Love hopes in all things, love endures in all things. In verse eight, love never ends, love never fails. Verse 13, so now faith, hope, and love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. Chapter 14, verse one. I love how Paul turns the corner. He says, make love your aim. Make love your aim, your sole purpose, your focus. Well, how do we, comp how do we stand firm and love well? It's a choice because I'll say this to you now because I know this in my own heart, in my own life. You don't just accidentally start loving people well. We are inherently selfish. 
And we would rather be served than to serve. We would rather be loved than love. We would rather be right than wrong. So how do we love well? Church, listen, I'm appealing to you in Jesus, like for Jesus' sake, choose to love well. Yes, we're in a modern day Babylon and that has never changed. And it will never change. As we will see in the weeks to come with Daniel and his companions, they stood firm. Their character was impeccable. They did things with gentleness and respect and honor, but they did not compromise. So how do we stand firm in love? I want to give you three things and we're done. Serve others. Serve others. I want to encourage you. Find ways to serve people. If you don't intentionally look to find ways to serve people, you never will. Serving doesn't accidentally happen. In fact, you most of the time won't even know how you can serve unless you move towards someone. So I'm encouraging you, move towards people. Move towards people that you normally wouldn't move towards. Move towards your neighbor across the street, your coworker, your classmate. Start to love people, move towards them and just start asking questions. Hey, really, how are you doing? Like I've never been turned down when I ask somebody how I can pray for them. Even, even people who don't even believe in God will still give me something. Ask people how you can pray because usually in those requests, you might start to discover a need. And if you see a need, meet the need. And if you can't meet the need, find someone who can meet the need. I love what Paul says here when it comes to serving. 1 Corinthians 9, 19. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all. Why? So that I can win arguments? So I can show that I'm right? I made myself a servant to all. Why? This is important. Answer the why question. So that I might win more of them. For what? For Jesus and his kingdom. So we need to serve well. In order to serve well, you have to remember that how you live and the words you say are an example. So set an example for others. Be salt and light. Be salt and light. Matthew 5, 13, you are the salt of the earth. I want you to notice how definitive that is. It's not that you are going to become the salt of the earth. He's like, if you're a disciple, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. In other words, to be a follower of Jesus means your faith isn't meant to be a private faith. It's meant to engage and interact with the world around us. We are meant to go into dark places, into areas that are rotting. That's our call. We are salt. We are light. That is our calling, which means you have to set an example. Because Jesus said, he's like, by, let people see your good deeds. And when they see your good deeds, guess what they will see? The Father. Be an example. You have to be intentional. Serve well. 
Realize that your life is an example for the world to see. But lastly, share, share Jesus with people. Share Jesus with people. 1 Peter chapter 3, 15 and 16. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet, see it? Yeah, give a defense for the hope. But when you do, do it with gentleness and respect. Peter was addressing a church when Nero was burning Christians alive. You think about that for a moment. And he's telling that church, you tell them the reason for your hope with gentleness and respect. Having a good conscience so that when you are slandered and you will be slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame, saying like, you live a life above reproach. You stay constant. You do this. You share the hope. You stand firm, but you do it in a posture of love, gentleness, and respect. And when you do that, they will see the hope that you have, not just by what you say, but also by how you live. So yes, love Jesus and love him well. Stay true to him. Keep him top in your life by all means possible. And make a defense for the hope. Start telling people why you love Jesus, why you live for him, why you're doing what you're doing. And let come what may. We stand firm. And we do it in love. Now, friends, I'm going to ask the the worship crew to come on up. Because if they don't, I'm going to keep talking. It's, it's very hard to do this well. It's very hard to stand firm in your faith and to love others well with gentleness and respect. It is. And I know when persecution comes and slander comes, when the people look down on you because you follow Jesus and all these types of things, that it's very tempting to not want to stand firm. Or you stand firm in a posture of wanting to fight back. But I want to encourage you, look to the ways of Jesus. Jesus stood for you. When he was on the cross, that was him standing for you. Firm in his faith, knowing what was coming. And yet even in that moment when he's on the cross with nails in his wrists, a crown of thorns on his head, people mocking him, he still pleaded with the Father that the Father would forgive them. He stood for us and he gave us an example how to stand firm and to love well. And when Jesus ascended into heaven, most of the New Testament authors talk about Jesus sitting When they see Jesus, he's seated at the right hand of the Father. But there are moments 
very unique moments in scripture where people see Jesus no longer sitting in heaven. They see him standing. And the only time when those people saw Jesus standing in heaven is when they stood firm in their faith and stood firm and loved well. Stephen, the martyr, when he was stoned, my friends, he was standing firm. He was telling them the truth of scripture, but he also said, forgive them. And he looked up in heaven and he saw Jesus not seated. He saw Jesus standing, standing with Stephen. Because when we stand for Jesus in love, he stands for us. We see this in, in Paul, in 2 Timothy, his last letter writing to Paul who are of Timothy, who's the pastor in Ephesus, facing persecution. And he said that when they came after me, Timothy, nobody stood with me. But Jesus stood with me. When we stand for Jesus, firm in our faith, loving well, he stands with us. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace, they stood firm in their faith and they loved well. Not only did they see Jesus, the Babylonians saw another in the fire, standing with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Listen, Jesus stands with us when we stand firm and love well. Church, this ought to be our finest hour. Like, I'm, and I'm not trying to be all cutesy. And I want to encourage us as we close that if there's an area in our lives maybe where we need to confess, let's do it. And I want to make a public confession right now. Because I do believe the Lord was doing something in my heart. Some of you might have saw my Facebook Live video yesterday. A friend of mine posted a hashtag that I saw and I thought it was rather clever. And I didn't think too much about it. And I said it on Facebook Live and afterwards my heart didn't feel right about it. It was a goofy statement. It was a really lame dad joke and I didn't think much of it. But then I had a conversation with someone and I realized that by what I said pulled his attention away from Jesus. And I immediately, after that, I was like, forgive me, you were right. And I took that video down. And so here's what I wanna to say to you. If you saw that and you were offended by that, I ask for your forgiveness. My heart wasn't trying to be partisan or goofy. And then I'm just gonna say, cause some of you are like, what did you say? I said, make the gospel great again. I didn't even think much about it. My heart was pure, I tell you that. But it was a really lame dad joke. I was trying to be clever. And in my cleverness, I detracted people from Jesus in that moment. And I know some of you be like, well, what's the big deal for that? Don't be offended, don't like, listen, if, if I cause somebody to stumble and not see Jesus, it's my brotherly right to say, I am sorry, forgive me. And so I just wanna encourage you, church, Ooh, that does not feel good. 
I just want to encourage you. Let's love well. Let's win as many as we can for Jesus. And that's why we have this series, His Kingdom. It's His Kingdom. We are His ambassadors. We are ambassadors of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Father, I thank you for this time. Lord, I thank you for your word that is true. Thank you for standing for us, standing for the world, standing firm. all the way to death on the cross. And even then, loving so well. It's so incomprehensible, Lord. I, I fall way short, Lord. God, I ask that you would forgive me where my words are not pure, are not holy. My thoughts are not pure, not holy. Lord, I confess to you moments and areas in my life where I don't want to love my neighbor. I don't want to love my enemy. I don't want to bless those who persecute me. I don't want to seek the welfare. God, I confess to you that I so often want to run and hide. And other times I want to stand and fight. And and I know there's a balance. And Lord, we ask that by your spirit that you would teach us that balance. Lord, we need your spirit to teach us how to stand firm and yet love well. God, I pray for us as a church that we would be salt, we would be light, that we would show off the Father in heaven, that we would win as many to you for your namesake, for your glory. So Lord, I just pray that your spirit would do something in our hearts. God, I ask that you would use the words of this last song, this powerful hymn, to solidify again our faith, but to be reminded of the love that we have in you. In Christ's name, amen.